Welcome to the Business of Dairy podcast. I'm Sheena Carter, Development Officer with the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Dairy Team. Farm profits will be interesting this year with strong milk prices and milder seasons being in our favour. But then on the other side of the scales, we have pricing pressures on key inputs such as fertiliser and wet weather and severe flooding impacting many dairy businesses on the east coast of Australia. Whether you're looking at a profit or a loss for your dairy business, we are now in the final quarter of the financial year. And if you don't already do this, you should really be looking at tax planning with your accountant to manage your tax position as effectively as you can. This month, I speak with two enthusiastic and experienced accountants about strategies to help you with your tax planning. Kate Garrett and Dan Medway are both directors and accountants at Boyce Chartered Accountants, which has been operating for over 45 years and is the largest independent professional services firm in New South Wales. With offices in seven regional centres of the state, they have a very good understanding of agricultural businesses and have dairy clients they work with throughout these locations. I would like to highlight that this discussion is general in nature and everyone's circumstances are different, so individual advice should be sought from your own accountant. I hope you gain some valuable insights from this conversation with Kate and Dan to use with your own tax plan. So welcome Kate and Dan to the Business of Dairy podcast. It's great to have you on board on our show today. Thank you. Thanks, Sheena. I guess managing um, managing farm businesses involves many activities both inside and, and outside the office, but we're now in the last quarter of the financial year. Um, so tax planning should really be one of the business management priorities for farmers because it can help legally minimise the amount of tax that is payable. Can you just broadly explain what, what is end of year tax planning? I guess for us accountants, tax planning is a pretty exciting time of year. Um, (laughs) We get excited about strange things, I know, but it's a service um, as an accountant where we can add some immediate value to our clients, either by saving them tax or deferring tax within the confines of the, the rules, obviously. It involves us basically estimating your tax position, what we think your tax position will be prior to the end of the financial year. So what we do is gather your actual data from your cash book file and and otherwise, get some estimates for the remaining years and then pull together a tax estimate and then we go through and review what strategies we can implement prior to the end of the financial year. Obviously, we have a bit of a toolkit of tax planning strategies that we can use. Um, Some of those are only available before 30 June. So things like, and we'll get into the detail um, shortly, but things like super contributions and farm management deposits, those things have to be in place um, well and truly prior to the financial year for them to be effective for the tax year. Whereas there's other other things that we can utilise post 30 June to minimise tax, but it's important to do the planning before to allow the best possible outcome um, for our clients prior to the end of the financial year. What, what sort of a, a time frame? Obviously, this podcast will go out on the 1st of April. So is it from April onwards that they should come and see the accountant? I would say traditionally, yes. The timing's probably spot on. You know, we're sort of talking about or thinking about tax planning in April, May, June. That's not to say it can't occur any earlier for other reasons. 
if we're trying to achieve a particular goal, then we might be thinking about a tax outcome uh, in December or January too, uh, and then revisit it later in the financial year. But traditionally or stereotypically, yes, April, May, June, us accountants would be calling tax planning season. I wouldn't leave it too late either. So doing your tax plan in sort of mid to late June may cut you um, a bit short, particularly if you've got to organise things with your bank particularly. And like I said before, things like super contributions, you need to have the payment made and cleared in the super fund for it to be an effective deduction. So I wouldn't leave it too late in June. And also with, you know, supply chain issues, I suppose, at the moment, it's sort of taking longer and longer to get inputs or equipment in. So if a tax planning strategy were to purchase something, coming up with that strategy in June might be too late. Yes, that's a a very, very good point, Dan. Um, Well and truly, yep. So we need to be proactive because we need time to, A, do that sort of, you know, where are we now? The projections toward the end of the year and then a period of time to actually implement whatever strategy it is that you come up with in summary. Okay, great. So let's say we're a business and we've done some projections and we've had a pretty good year and it looks like we're going to make a reasonable profit. What are what are some of the strategies that we can look at, you know, using ATO provisions to try and, and minimise our, our tax position by the end of the year? I guess probably the first thing um, that you would look at is timing, um, both of expenditure and income. And I guess in the, in the dairy industry, income's a lot easier to predict, um, particularly with your milk check, but obviously this, the sale of livestock as well, either bringing forward or pushing back the timing of both of those things. As mentioned before, things such as farm management deposits, so whether that's putting deposits on, carrying them over a financial year and pulling them out into the new financial year for cash flow reasons, and or, you know, if if you're looking at a, at a loss situation, um, what's the level of um, FMD that you could potentially pull out um, depending on your structure? Just while we're on farm management deposits, um you know, there is a percentage of the industry that does use them, but perhaps some of our listeners may be unfamiliar with them. Can you just give us a background about farm management deposits? What are they and, and what's their purpose? How do they work? It's effectively a provision that the tax office provides to allow for some seasonality in the industry, whereby if you've got a high income year, you can put an amount of cash on deposit through a farm management deposit product that the bank offers, claim a tax deduction in that year. Uh, ordinary rules are that it must be on deposit for at least 12 months. And then after that 12 months has expired, you can pull the, the cash back out of that deposit and it becomes assessable income. So it allows you to manipulate your assessable income between or across financial years. Right. So yeah, it's a good cash flow balancing and also to help you in, in leaner times when you might not have the cash flow in those tougher years, I guess. Yes. I guess the thing with farm management deposits is that they can be a great tool initially in terms of uh, deferring tax by putting some cash on deposit. But I would, I would say that it, it would be worth considering uh, what the exit plan is for that farm management deposit. So it's not quite enough just to put cash on deposit this year and think the problem's solved. I guess it's easy to fall into a trap whereby you've got a build-up of cash in farm management deposits 
that's carrying a future tax liability and you've got no way of bringing it out, it would be incomplete not to consider an exit strategy for those FMDs at the time you make the deposit. Right. Okay. Good point. Good point. And just a, another quirk of farm management deposits. Obviously, we've got um, many areas of the east coast of New South Wales that have had some um, catastrophic flooding and, and are in disaster declared areas. And there are government grants and loans that have been made available because of that. But there's also, what would you say, a um, an ability to use farm management deposits within that 12-month period that you explained if uh, if needed if you're in a disaster declared area. Can you just expand on that a little bit, please? So it would be worthwhile if you do or you are thinking about pulling the farm management deposit out within that 12-month period to talk through and, and dot the I's and cross the T's effectively with your accountant to make sure you fit the criteria to enable you to pull that deposit out. So it is effectively income in that financial year um, at the individual level. Talk through with your accountant to make sure you fit the criteria to pull that, that income out in that financial year. And that also will ensure that the deduction that you can claim for the, the farm management deposit in the prior period still is on the right footing with the ATO. Okay, great. Thanks, Kate. Now we spoke, you mentioned income and sort of you know, potentially uh, deferring livestock sales within the dairy industry. Obviously, as you said, our, our milk income is a regular thing that occurs um, on a monthly basis and is, is fairly well known. But some of those livestock sales, you might want to bring them forward or push them back into the next financial year. Also, expenditure. What, what are some of the strategies we can use around expenditure to help with that tax position? I guess typically you might consider bringing forward some expenditure, say, that you, you would otherwise incur in July or August. If you were anticipating purchasing some inputs in July, you could consider bringing that cost forward. Ultimately, it's a timing difference, but you do sort of get the tax benefits sooner rather than later by doing that. Depending on, on the size of the business, there are additional tax concessions, I suppose, associated with expenditure. So for a small business, for example, the ability to prepay 12 months worth of expenses and claim a tax deduction up front. Again, it's a timing difference. So you're getting the tax deduction this year, not next year. But it's another way, I suppose, of, of levelling out your, your assessable income. Okay, fantastic. Great. Now, what about things which are, I guess we start to get a bit more complicated, but we've got instant asset write-offs and accelerated depreciation. Can we explain those in, in layman terms? <laughs> Um, so the small business entity rules for depreciation have been around for quite some time and what it's allowed taxpayers to do and businesses to do is to, to pull their depreciating business assets and claim an accelerated rate of depreciation. So that has been um, for the pool balance, we generally claim 30% and for new assets, 15%. And it also encompasses the immediate asset, uh, instant asset write-off rules. So there was thresholds for previous to, to now for how much you could spend on a depreciating asset and deduct that immediately. So sort of started off at $1,000, you know, increased over time um, to 20, 25, 30. During the start of COVID, they increased that cap to 150,000. And then during the depths of COVID, they took the cap off and any 
depreciating business asset can be deducted immediately under what they call temporary full expensing rules, just to just to confuse us all again. They've come up with a different, different term. And that also encompasses the pool balance as well. So some people um, sort of miss that detail. So if you had a pool balance to start with, that pool balance is deducted fully in this 2022 financial year, or is it 2021? Yeah, 2021 when the rules kicked in. Yeah, in October 2020, they changed the rules. So for that 2021 financial year, if um, you were in that small business entity system already, you deduct your whole pool plus any new assets that you purchase. So they've recently announced that those temporary full expensing rules will run through until 30 June 2023. So they're in place for this financial year and then also next. Right. Well, that's good. For a lot of farm businesses, the full expensing and the ability to write off a small business depreciation pool um, has probably meant, you know, a reduction in tax in the in the last year or so. Uh, what it also means, though, there will be no or there'll be reduced depreciation deductions going forward. So a lot of farm businesses will be without a depreciation deduction this year, you know, which could lead to a tax liability. Yep, sure. And I, I guess another point, which um, is not so much a, a tax point, but it's really a debt servicing point, is it's all very well to go and buy an expensive piece of machinery and deduct it, but uh, we also need to factor in if we're, you know, purchasing that with finance, we need to be able to have the cash flow and the ability to service that loan as well. Absolutely. And I don't, yeah, I don't think, you know, we would advocate spending a dollar to save 30 cents in tax. It would more be about can the item of plant you know, increase productivity or efficiencies. And is it the right business decision at the time? It might be a good decision on farm, um, but also, again, have a chat with your accountant uh, to, yeah, get the full position on that if you're looking at instant asset write-offs. I guess the next thing I was thinking we might talk about would be superannuation and concessional and non-concessional contributions, but in terms of those businesses that have employees, how does superannuation play into tax management strategies? Um, with superannuation contributions, um, the as I mentioned before, uh, the payment needs to be made into a complying super fund, uh, one for your employees and also for yourself, um, and that needs to happen and be cleared in the superannuation fund prior to 30 June for it to be an eligible tax deduction. So the um, the limits on concessional contributions in this financial year, um, previously the limit was 25000 but that has increased for the 2022 financial year to 27500 So if you are thinking of making a super contribution and claiming a tax deduction for it. That is the limit for this year and that needs to to happen and be cleared in the super fund prior to 30 June. You also post 30 June need to complete what's called an intent to claim form and that needs to be submitted to your super fund and acknowledgement received um, prior to lodging your tax return. Another thing to be aware of with concessional superannuation contributions, a relatively new rule I suppose. So a few years ago uh, the rules were that if you didn't maximise your concessional contributions limit, you've lost the ability to use that difference. Whereas the rules now are that if you don't maximise your concessional contributions in a prior year, you can use that difference this year. To put that into an example, 
last year's limit was $25,000. If someone has only made a concessional contribution of 10, they have the ability this year to put in this year's limit, so 27500 plus the $15,000 that they didn't use last year. As a qualifier to that, your total super balance has to be under 500000 So it's a way of the, the government letting you catch up um, and sort of boost your super balance. Um, so there are a few technicalities behind the scenes. Not everyone can do it. Um, if you've got that balance under five hundred, then you can use that sort of look back rule. Yes. Okay. That's that's good to know. And I guess, again, uh, talk to your accountant or, or super fund about that strategy. The intent to claim form, where do people find that? Is that an ATO document or a super fund document? Um, most super funds, if you're using sort of a uh, an industry fund, you can download a copy of their form off, off their website. Um, otherwise, there is a standard ATO form on the ATO website that you can complete and send off to your super fund. Okay. Fantastic. Kate, you mentioned that, you know, if it it looks like a business is going to make a loss in the financial year, there's that potential to withdraw funds out of your farm management deposits. Are there any other strategies in a loss-making year that farmers should consider? I guess most people think in a loss year that there's no planning that needs to occur. However, we tend to look at a low income year as an opportunity. As I said before, um, there's the the ability to pull out your FMDs um, and pretend if you're trading through um, certain structures, offset your FMD income with your losses. But it may also present opportunities to uh, to think bigger. So think about how your business is structured or during those lower income years. Think about changing, um, changing your structure. Think about wider succession planning. Think about if you're going to sell a property or transfer property to the next generation. You know, think about all of those other things in that lower income year because there's certain um, rules around, you know, income limits for um, capital gains tax planning and and things like that. Can you give me an example of what you mean by, by changing structure? I'm assuming we're, you know, talking changing from a partnership to a, a company or a trust or something. What, what would the example perhaps be? One example could be, Sheena, I guess as part of a wider family succession planning, if we wanted to move assets from one entity to another, in the event that a low income year meant that turnover was less than the the relevant thresholds for capital gains tax, small business concessions, so $2 million, a farm business might qualify for those concessions, whereas otherwise in an ordinary income year or a high income year, they wouldn't. It might just bring forward restructuring or bring forward succession planning to take advantage of concessions that a taxpayer otherwise wouldn't be eligible for. Okay, great. Thanks, Dan. Were there any other planning things in those lost years or that pretty much covers it off? Dan, you had a great one um, just with tax first market value for livestock. Yeah, so a couple of things. I guess one that the structure is such that you're able to offset the losses against future profits. Um, You don't want to lose the losses completely. Uh, But that point, Kate, so with trading stock, uh, for tax purposes, you've got the ability to value trading stock three different ways, being tax value or historical cost, replacement cost and market value. So in the event that a taxpayer or a farm business is in a loss year, possibly they could entertain paying tax 
on their stock at market values. And that has the effect of bringing forward profits to offset current year losses to achieve a particular result. So that result might be that you use up all of those losses and you get taxable income into a low marginal tax bracket rather than run the risk of that same profit being taxed at a higher rate in a future year. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Probably, Sheena, just um, before we move on, the only other thing that we haven't touched on that is relevant to all primary producers is averaging um, and how the averaging system works. So it it averages your taxable income over a five-year period and sort of evens out the highs and lows of, you know, seasonality and and income for a primary producer. So it's also when you're doing your tax plan, taking into account those averaging rebates and, and offsets and things as part of those calculations. And is that something that people choose to be in as a primary producer? Is it a default set up? How does how do you uh, work that? Uh, so you do elect to be in that primary production averaging system um, and you can opt in and out. Um, harder to opt in if you've opted out. <laughs> but it, that, yeah, not everyone may or may want to be in that system, um, but it, it certainly does smooth the, the taxable income from year to year with those averaging rebates and offsets. So there's, yeah, sort of some planning you can do um, to utilise those from year to year. Yeah, and I guess it certainly is a great tool when we know we know agriculture has its ups and downs, whether it's seasons or prices, uh, then no one has the crystal ball to be able to figure out the next five years in advance. So it is a, certainly a good tool available to primary producers. I guess that's a lot of the, the tax planning side of things. And as we've discussed, you know, talk to your accountant early, start the conversation now. Uh, what are some of the other considerations to take into account for businesses at the end of the financial year that may not necessarily be related to tax planning. So I'm thinking things like, you know, single touch payroll was introduced a number of years ago now, but uh, we've now got phase two of single touch payroll. What is that all about? So single touch payroll, as you mentioned, came in a couple of years ago um, and we've sort of come to the end of all of our concessions now and um, every single employer in the country is being forced to report their gross wages for their employees um, as well as any tax withhold held on those wages um, and also the super guarantee component of the wage um, as the payments are made. So it's real-time reporting for employers for their employees' wages obligations, really. So the ATO want to know when each employee is paid, what they've been paid in real time. So it has been a huge change um, because lots of employers have in the past reported just on a quarterly basis on their business activity statement. So this has been a a really important change um, and this reporting has to be done through some sort of electronic system, whether that's, um, you know, through the cash book, uh, if their payroll system's integrated. Otherwise, there's um, sort of standalone payroll systems that people can use through an online medium to report to the the ATO. I guess um, that was phase one um, and was a huge change. Um, From what I can see, stage two is really just tweaking around the edges. I think they're they're loosening up a few rules on, you know, submitting TFN declarations and 
termination payments and separation payments for employees. So they've sort of just changing or relaxing some of the rules um, to make the obligation for employees um, slightly easier. So it's a good thing. That's good. (laughs) Uh, And I guess what the ATO do with that that data, I guess it enables them at end of year. um, So group certificates are pretty much a thing of the past and employees can log in at any one time um, through their MyGov account and see what their year-to-date wages and tax and and super is um, at any point in time. And it also reports that information through to other government departments such as Centrelink and Family Assistance office and all of those things. Fantastic. So some hopefully reduction in red tape. It's still there, but it's happening in the background and they don't have to, yeah, think so consciously about it all. Yeah. So tax planning is a good time to get on top of that if you're not already. We're all checking in with our clients that they're complying with those um, single touch payroll rules Um, and then also um, on the super guarantee front making sure that that, um, our clients are complying with those rules Um, because the ATO can see now when wages are paid and then they can also data match um, to ensure that super guarantee payments are made by the 28th day following the end of the quarter. So it's really important that those couple of compliance things are, are high on, on your to-do list or, you know, being complied with because um, the ATO are checking up on us these days and it's a real focus. Yeah, nothing nothing is hidden anymore, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Dan and Kate, thank you. This has been a, a really good session. I found it very interesting. Hopefully our listeners do. And um, as excited accountants at this time of year, is there anything, you know, a few final words or tips that you may have for dairy farmers, primary producers, I guess, in general around their end of year tax planning in general? It would just be that you have a lot more options in front of you on this side of 30 June than the other side of 30 June, I would say. Yeah. The gate gate firmly shuts at 30 June. Yes. And I I would use tax planning time as an opportunity not just to look at this year um, but look at at future years and also look at at the whole picture and and use it as a bit of a planning planning meeting with your your accountant uh, about your business, um, about the future of your business and, and your cash flow planning as well in line with any strategies that you implement. Fantastic. Right. Well, thank you very much for joining us on this session. Um, And who knows, we may uh, have another exciting talk with uh, you both as excited accountants in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Sheena. Thank you for listening to this month's The Business of Dairy podcast, produced by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Dairy Business Advisory Unit. This series is also brought to you with funding and support from the Hunter Local Land Services. If you would like to build your financial skills and understanding or are interested in adopting the Australian Dairy Standard Chartered Accounts to better manage your farm financial information, please reach out to Dairy Australia or your regional development program who deliver both face-to-face and online workshops to help support dairy farmer skills in this area. There is a link in the show notes to Dairy Australia's website which explains the farm business management training options available to you and also a link to the Dairy Standard Chart of Accounts. And please get in touch with your accountant today to start your tax planning process before it is too late. We'd love you to share this podcast with your networks 
and feel free to send any feedback or suggestions for future episodes to thebusinessofdairy at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to our New South Wales DPI Dairy Facebook and DPI Livestock Twitter feed and view or subscribe to our quarterly DPI Dairy newsletter using the links provided.